Well, uh, you have to what be you're paying right now. When you're in an oil market, don't ever wear white because it's a spot market and you're going to get oil. Oh, you're getting it, bad. I mean, it, it's it's true. And there's a level of truth in that pun that makes it more than just a pun. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Personal Wealth Coach starring Jake and... Jeff McClure. This is definitely one of those extra exciting days as we come about our um, technical difficulties that, that seem to confound the, the most brilliant of people and us as well. Um, So we are here. This is the personal wealth coach. This is Jake McClure. And on the line with me, I have Jeff McClure. Together, we are the personal wealth coach and we are bald and we are bearded. And we talk about economics, personal finance, macroeconomics, completely impersonal finance, stuff like that. You know, the the really exciting stuff that every five-year-old wants to listen to on a a Saturday morning. Um, That is us. So. Um, before we get started with what we're doing, we're going to get started with some other things that we're not doing. Well, we are doing. They're disclosures. We have to do them, but, um, all right, so let's just do them. The Personal Wealth Coach is not just the name of this radio program podcast. It is also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm. It's not a coincidence that people that are speaking on the radio, Jeff and Jake, the bald duo, um, are the principals of that firm. Uh, Why do I have to say this? Because the SEC says we have to say it. Um, Because if you're listening to this and you hear us say something absolutely absurd, no, scratch that, we say a lot of absurd things, uh, absolutely illegal, then you can contact them and tell them all about it. They're the ones to talk to. They don't, just because our firm is registered with them, they don't give us any form of um, attaboys, thumbs ups, approval. If you're seeking a daddy complex, you don't go to the SEC. Just because we're registered with the SEC to give fiduciary advice doesn't mean we can give fiduciary advice on the air. Uh, The advice that we give on the air, what is fiduciary? In the best interest of the client. Well, we don't even know who's listening to us, if anybody is listening to us at the moment. So we can't give advice to the people that we don't know are there because there are other people that we don't know are there, presumably. Could be nobody's listening. That's a possibility as well. And if that's the case, then it wouldn't be private advice. So we can't give advice on the air. Therefore, this program is educational in nature. Hopefully, we will be teaching stuff. We don't pay for the program, nor are we paid for it. But at the same time, we do advertise on the studio. Um, KTEM 1400, we advertise on the studio. And the studio advertises for this radio program. We advertise for this radio program. Uh, That is, we pay actually discounted market rates for that. So uh, there's only one disclosure left. Would you like to take it? Well, I can say that the information we provide in this educational radio program has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said information. We do, however, guarantee the inaccuracy and incompleteness of all unsaid information until it's said, and then we don't guarantee anything. There. 
So now we can also there, there's an always there's another disclosure we probably ought to give. What's that? The future is always uncertain. Oh man, we that, make, is that a disclosure? Are we opening up about that? Do people doubt that? Mm. Well, I think a lot of people don't doubt it at all. They they doubt it. Well, they they doubt it completely. They believe that somebody can predict the future because when I read particularly financial literature, uh, Wall Street Journal, any place, the majority of stories about the market on most days are about what it's going to do in the future, stating it very distinctly, like, here's what's going to happen. That's true. I think people wish to hear uh, the prognostications and uh, predictions, especially if they're wrong. But uh, they will treat it like it's right, even if someone has a great history of being wrong. If you're occasionally right, then you get listened to. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And um, that's... Those Probably are why we're not syndicated. We're, we're not syndicated across the country because we don't predict what the market is going to do next year, five years from now, three months from now, and as a result, we never have the opportunity to be dead right on one time. I can. And I can make a, famous for many years. I'm going to make a prediction right now. What's that? I'm going out on a limb here because things could occur to completely disrupt this prediction. But uh, my prediction is that the market will open on Monday morning and trade in its normal business hours. How's that? I, I will, you need to put some caveats on that. Uh, now, now, presuming that Monday is in Eastern time in the United States rather than um, Monday in Asia in normal market trading time. So we've got to talk about which market we're talking about as well. You've you got to start. However, you need to throw in, occasionally the market doesn't open on a weekday. That's true. Unexpectedly, other than holidays, unexpectedly, the market doesn't open on certain days. Right after 9-11, for example, the market was closed for several days. It was closed for several weeks. Just disappeared. Uh, It's amazing. And there have been major international incidents that have caused the market to close. Guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to be nuts. I'm going to remove all the caveat. And I could be totally wrong. That's the only caveat that the market is going to open on Monday morning. That makes sense. There you go. All right. So what happened in the market this week? Speaking of the market being open. Well, it went up and it went down and then it closed and everybody went home for the weekend. Oh, well, that's, that's a reasonable uh, outcome for the market. And uh, in other news, uh, across the weather this week, we've had rain. Across and, the weather? Yeah. Across the weather this week, we've had rain and dryness. And now on to the next subject, sports. There were games played this week, and uh, on to the next subject, crime. There were crimes committed this week and arrests made. Yeah. Now we're done with the news and on to the next subject. Well, the S&P 500 stock index is the primary indicator we use to trace what the stock market is doing or not doing on a given day. Not that it's really doing anything, but at least the valuations that are being assigned to it. Um, And actually, into Tuesday, it went up above 4,100. sort of tracked what it's done recently as it continued to rise. And then uh, Wednesday, the Federal Reserve had its press conference. Yep. And the reason it went up on Tuesday is because the Consumer Price Index was released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics in the Department of Labor, one of our favorite government organizations. And it showed that inflation came in actually substantially lower than had been anticipated. Now, year-over-year inflation still was up above 7%, but monthly inflation is only running along at one-tenth of 1% and has been for a couple of months now. 
that made the people who do daily trading or short-term trading in the stock market relatively happy because they concluded that that meant the Federal Reserve would not raise interest rates as far or perhaps as long as they had previously suspected because if inflation appears to be coming under control very nicely, and it does, uh, the Federal Reserve would not raise rates so much. And if they didn't raise rates so much, the probability of having earnings fall and there being a recession next year drops pretty dramatically. So they were all very happy and the market started up. And then came the press conference following the Federal Reserve meeting where Chairman Powell said, nope, we are going to raise interest rates higher, longer than you can imagine. And it caused a lot of confusion and the market started falling. It didn't fall that much, though. It was down 2.08% for the week, which obviously if you multiply that down 52, That's a uh, lot. that means that the, a year from now at that rate, we wouldn't have a market. But, but on a normal Fed meeting week where they renounce a rate hike, we've seen just this year some much more significant drops on those right. rates. Yeah. Well, the the interesting thing about it is, um, at least from my perspective, is that it is now distinctly higher than it was. It's like 7.53% higher than it was in mid-October, the market is. and. If there's all that much bad news out there, why was why did things look worse in mid-October than they do now? And the answer is they really don't look that much worse. Um, there was a lot of speculation, and we can go into that in more detail later in the program. A lot of speculation went around that perhaps because the the consumer price index did not come out until the meeting was almost over at the Federal Reserve by the time the consumer price index came out. It's possible that they were all closeted in there and they said, don't bother us, we need to discuss some serious stuff. And so they didn't actually look at the consumer price index that came out that showed inflation had fallen to lower levels. That was kind of thought. But reading Chairman Powell's comments, sort of interesting. He focused hard on one section of the economy that he wants to slow down and he thinks is, is a severe danger to the total economy and the stability of the dollar, which is our number one priority. Uh, and that is not just the services sector. Uh, prices, we, we can go into that in more detail in the, in the rest of the program, but uh, prices in the goods sector are actually falling. Prices in the service sector, some parts of the service sector are not falling very fast, are falling, are, are stable. But the labor-intensive areas of the service side of our economy are seeing dramatic increases in wages, like 10%, 15% a year. The uh, overall wages are going up at about 6 or 7% a year. Um, not because everybody's wages are going up, but because over in the labor-intensive services side, what's labor-intensive? Um, I'll give you an example. When you go to a restaurant, that's labor-intensive. There's a lot of people involved in serving you, in preparing and serving you food on a timely basis. That is the area, that is one of the areas where wages are going up very fast. Why is it going up very fast? Because the employers are having a very hard time finding anybody to work there. Um, in healthcare, wages are going up very, very fast. Uh, the This was in Great Britain rather than in the United States, but there was a comment by a nurse who left being a nurse and went to be a barista at uh, Starbucks, the nurse who was a man said, um, I get paid more as a barista than I was getting paid as a registered nurse. It's technically a barista. Baristo? 
Yeah, barista, impl- it's like saying uh, bravo for a, a woman. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, the barista, oh, if you, I'll take your word for it. Whatever, the guy who pumps the, ga- pumps the coffee. Pumps the gas into your coffee. Right. We right. got it. Uh, he, the nurse, the registered nurse was getting paid more. Now, this was in the United Kingdom where nurses went on strike uh, this week. But that is true across the board. In the labor-intensive areas of our economy, we are seeing wages go up dramatically. Why are they going up dramatically? Because it's hard to find people to do that work. It's really hard to find people to do that work. Why is it hard to find people to do that work? Because there are good-paying technical jobs in a lot of places, and we're just not having as many people enter in at the bottom of the chain as we used to. We just don't have a lot of people coming on board uh, who want to do uh, relatively low-wage service work. Uh, And if you've tried to find a plumber or a carpenter or somebody to fix your house recently, you see that that's going on there too. People have become educated. They like the idea of working in a stable environment where they don't have to run around a lot in front of a computer. And they get paid more to do that in most cases than they do to work as a waiter uh, or waitress. The pandemic sort of messed that up. But that's what Chairman Powell focused on. It wasn't got to do with the markets. Well, he says, we've got to get that area of the economy under control. We've got to reduce the demand for high work-intensive, labor-intensive service areas to bring that in f- that rise in, in wages down to something sustainable or inflation will just take off again. And his concern was that if he, if they, if the federal reserve leaves interest rates as they are, which are by the way, sort of negative right now because inflation is higher than the short-term interest rates. Um, then people will borrow a lot of money and do a lot of expansion and people hire more people and the more people will make a lot more money and they will, buy more stuff and more services and inflation will continue to go. That's the theory. I don't necessarily think he's correct. Although I really hesitate to argue with the chairman of the federal reserve. Anyway. So the market was down 2.08%. Is it, is it a disaster? No. Is it bad? Not particularly. So let's put that in perspective from early January, the standard Poor's 500 stock index is now down 19.63% or almost to a bear market level. But as recently as mid October, as I mentioned, From there, it's up 7.53. If we go back to the market bottom in 2020, which some of us really old people can remember all the way back about two and a half years ago, the market is up 72.18%. And if we go back to three years ago, just before the pandemic, it's up 24%. The market has risen 24% in three years. That that is good. That is really, really, really good. That's over 7% a year. And yet the surveys across the board indicate that investors think the market is down. That is backwards, folks. If you're a trader, the market's down. If you're an investor, the market is up. That's the reality of where we are. We also follow the CRSP Mid-Cap Value Index. And for those of you who are not familiar with that, the Standard Poor's 500 Stock Index is primarily made up, it's driven by large capitalization, big growth-oriented companies, where the stock is priced according to the expected earnings growth in the company three to five years from now. So those prices tend, those price to earnings ratios in those companies tend to be relatively high. Those are called growth stocks. At the other end of the spectrum in the S&P 500, since there are no small stocks in the S&P 500, is the mid-cap value portion of the S&P 500. So we follow a mid-cap value index and see what that is saying too. 
Um, the S and P five for the 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 uh, I'll get my tang untangled here. Um, the the that was down about two point zero five percent. The CRSP mid cap value index. Uh, it closed at twenty three thirty point eighty four. It also continued to hold up relatively well for the year. It's only down ten point two six percent for the year. So rough the mid cap value side of the market is down about half as much as the S and P five hundred. There's a really good reason for that. The really big tech stocks like Meta have taken a real beating this year and are still down relatively. Tesla is down a lot. I don't remember the, exactly where it was, but it's uh, somebody, I think I saw a 44% drop in it at one point this week, but uh, the, the, big, the big famous name, high growth stocks are taking a beating and it's keeping the S&P 500 down. Um, the other, another couple of things that we follow, we follow the bond market and we specifically follow the 10-year U.S. Treasury note as, as the uh, benchmark because it is I'll, a benchmark. I'll give you a year-to-date number for Tesla if you wish. What's that? Sure. It's down 57.35%. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> that that's, is definitely that's a wow. In, that's impressive. Uh, that is really impressive. Uh, we could even talk about that if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, why do we mention that? Because if you're if you're an investor and you're like me and you're plodding along, buying a diversified, relatively conservative, relatively reasonable portfolio, and you see Tesla and Meta, Meta's and down sixty five percent year to date. You see, over the last several years, you've seen these stocks take off and double and triple and just do amazing things. Well, there's a backside to that. And we're seeing it now. And that's the reason the S&P 500 is not doing that well. Uh, the, the mainstream of the, of the country in many ways is reflected in the value indices. And they're down about 10%, which is fairly reasonable, all things considered. The, the large growth companies, the really ones that really made a lot of money and did a lot of things and we have a lot of hope for, are getting smashed pretty badly. So let's move on to the bond market now. If the stock market dropped in the latter part of the week, and it did, because the traders on the stock market are expecting higher interest rates than they anticipated, and that's what they said, if we assume that the traders are telling the truth in mass, and I think they probably are about what they believe, that interest rates, that they came to the conclusion late in the week that interest rates are going to rise higher, faster than they thought, and that's why the stocks went down, then we would expect to see the yield rise on the 10-year U.S. Treasury note because it represent, it reflects what's going on in the stock market. Well, when the lower consumer price index figures came out and the, the, the bond market dropped, interest rates went up. When the yield goes up in the bond market, by the way, the value of bonds go down. I know that's backwards uh, and it's hard to get your mind around, but the fact is if you see yields rising, it means bonds are falling. So the bond market went down in value and up in yield uh, why? Well, because the lower CPI fam, it, it went the other way, actually. The, the interest rates uh, dropped, the bond market went up on Tuesday. And so we would expect if once the Fed came out and said, we're going to raise rates higher longer than you think, the bond market would have dropped and interest rates would have gone up on the 10-year treasury. But they didn't. They didn't. They stayed pretty much the same. It closed out at... Uh, at the end of the week at 3.48%, roughly 3.5%, where it's been for some time. Yeah, yes, um, but that is 
0.04% higher than it was the day before. 0.04%. That's a lot of I zeros. I think that's significant. That's, that's not what's called no, noise. That's a noise. Yeah. yeah. That's just noise. That's not a movement. Anyway, uh, so the bond market traders are thinking, here's what's going to happen. Interest rates aren't going to go up as much as we thought. The stock market traders are saying, here's what happened. Interest rates are going to go up a lot more than we thought which goes back to our disclosure a little earlier about the future. Not only is the future uncertain, apparently bond market traders and stock market traders have a very significant difference in what they think is going to happen in the future in interest rates. So it gets pretty interesting. Now, we also follow the interest rate treasury yield curve. Why do we follow the treasury yield curve? Because when short-term interest rates are higher than long-term interest rates, Historically, it has indicated a high probability of a recession in the works. Yeah. And then the it's, yield curve's been inverted since July 5th. And it is the most inverted right now that in my 50 years of observing such things, I have ever seen it. Um, 40 years as a professional, I've never seen this inverted yield curve. But it's there, it's inverted. And it either means we're going to, it means, it means nothing. It means we're going to have a mild uh, recession or we're not going to have a recession. And uh, there are plenty of voices that will clearly state with certainty, it means one of those three things. Yes. Absolute certainty. And, and the, they're often wrong, never in doubt is usually right. the, the, the correct terms here. The, the other, the another thing we follow is West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil. Uh, by the way, the six-month Treasury bill right now is the highest yielding one out there if you're interested in getting high yield. It's, uh, it's yielding 4.68%. Now, you'd only get half of that because it matures in six months, but that's the annualized yield of the six-month Treasury bill right now, uh, which is pretty impressive, too. Anyway, West Texas Intermediate Crude, which is another indicator we follow, it's a, it, it rose about four and a quarter percent to $74.50 per barrel. Now, again, there's something going on here. Supply has not changed that much in six months. Now, people were scared six months ago that we were going to lose a lot of supply because of the, uh, because of the invasion of Ukraine. But six months ago, WTI, which is what we call West Texas Intermediate, was trading at $120 a barrel. A month ago, it was at $90 a barrel. Now it's at $74.50 a barrel. What does that mean? It indicates that... Globally, the demand for oil is probably going to decline over the next six months or so, because that's how far out these things look. Um, it's the futures market we're actually quoting for the oil, and, and it's the short-term futures market. Wait, which is wait, you said something. Pay for you said something earlier that I need to remind you about. You said the future is uncertain. So, how is it that we can look at the prices of futures oil and have certainty? Mm -hmm. Well, we can. You can buy a contract right now that says in so many days you are obligated to take delivery of oil at $74.50 a barrel. It's actually 30 days. And the person who sold the contract says they're obligated to charge you $74.50 and you're obligated to pay $74.50. That's a contract. And if you don't believe that you trade, you, you deal in futures contracts, if you have a mortgage, if you have a car loan, that's a futures contract. You have agreed to pay so much money per month for a period of time, and they have agreed to only charge you so much money per month for a period of time in exchange for your future ownership of your house or the car. 
That's a futures contract. But the futures contracts trade back and forth. People uh, buy initially, they sell a futures contract on corn or oil or something, put it on the open market, and somebody buys it and says, I'll agree to pay you this much, this month, this far in the future. And then they can sell the contract. And the contracts get sold around in various places and at various prices. And that indicates what people who are interested in buying oil over the next month think the price of oil will be 30 days from now, which is what we quote when we quote the price of oil, because the spot market is all over the place. Well, uh, you have to be paying right now when you're in an oil market. Don't ever wear white because it's a spot market and you're going to get oil. Oh, you're getting bad. I mean, it's it's true. There's a level of truth in that pun that makes it more than just a pun. Well, I think there is a good consensus among the people who have skin in the game, who are economically involved that we are going into a global recession. There's there's really very little question about that right now, that in the next year there will be a global recession. The question that's practical to our listeners in the United States particularly is will there be a domestic recession in the United States? And that's a maybe. Um, some of the more astute, uh, at least historically, have been accurate type forecasters are saying there is a there is at least a 50% chance that we will not go into a recession and there is a, probably a 70% chance that if we do go into a recession it will be mild and you really won't notice it in Texas if you're living in Texas uh some places there there are places right now that are already in a recession if you want to look very carefully in the economy of the United States uh, commercial office buildings in New York City the prices have dropped rather significantly for commercial office buildings Uh, and anybody who's heavily invested in commercial office buildings in new york city is probably not real happy right now there's a reason for that the demand is dropped why is the demand dropped because a lot of people are still working from home and will continue to work from home and are not going back to the office which means when the leases are running out for the companies that have these blocks of offices rented in high-rise buildings in many cases they're not renewing their leases and they can't find anybody to take the lease, which means there's a lot of empty offices. Does that mean you should bail out of real estate? You just need to be kind of careful where you're invested in real estate because there's some real estate in rising interest rate periods. Real estate takes a hit. It's just the reality. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be in real estate. You should be careful where you are in real estate. Diversification is important. And that's the markets. Well done. Appreciate that. If you would like to talk to us off the out, off the air, uh, we have voicemail available during the weekend locally at 254-947-1111. And that voicemail is only on the weekends and evenings. We have real live people that answer the phone normally. Uh, and you can reach it toll free at 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com where you can, or tpwc.com, where you can see our uh, made-for-radio faces, read our newsletters, sign up for the newsletter, uh, listen to radio programs going back lots of years, listen to bite-sized podcasts uh, that go back quite a long ways, too. You can also find those podcasts anywhere where podcasts are provided. Uh, You can contact us through our contact form there or email us directly at jeff at tpwc.com and or jake at tpwc.com. Until... Next hour, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.